Hey, Freshwater. Uh, I want to say also thanks uh, not only to Mike and to Bill and to Jerry, but to their wives, their families. Uh, for all these years, you guys have been a part of this and uh, given up so much of their time uh, just for the kingdom of God. So I also want to just say thank you to you as well. Uh, this morning, um, uh, Sean's behind the camera, I'm in front of the camera, and we're under quarantine. We both have uh, negative tests uh, for COVID, so this is uh, rather annoying. Um, but uh, we're out in the barn here, so uh, just shooting this thing because we didn't want to come into the church, obviously. But uh, this morning, we're going to be talking about this whole idea, there's this question I want to wrestle you to wrestle with uh, as we go through this is, is it a loving or a kind thing for God to ask us to give the first fruits from the top of our income and our wealth? Is that a loving thing and a kind thing? Now, I'm not going to take you all out to the woodshed. Sorry, just had to get that out there. I got my car, my son's car is a mess right here in front of us, torn apart. So we're going to try to get down to the nuts and bolts of everything here. You know, really, really get into that thing. So, um... Uh, <laughs> so here we go. It's another first. We're in a barn shooting this thing, recording live um, or recording for the Sunday morning. Um, but I want to talk about this idea of what is this, this call God has on us when it comes to our wealth and our money. And there was a survey I was looking at recently. It surveyed, I think it was around 1,500 or 2,000 people. And they said, who do you share or who do you talk to about your finances? They gave a list. And, they, and, and the, the, the idea was they wanted to see if people process what they do with their money with other people. And 89% of the people surveyed said they never or hardly ever talk about their finances outside of their immediate family. Now, somewhere in the survey, they also were asking, are you a person of faith? And they found out who are Christians or not. For Christians, it was 97% of Christians said they never or hardly ever talk about their finances outside of their immediate family. You know, we have a phrase that we have at, at our, in our leadership circles, you're only as healthy as the conversations you're not having, which makes you go like, what? what did he just say? You're only as healthy as the conversations you're not having, which means if you have a lot of avoidance going on in a family or in a leadership or in a business, um, something's not healthy. So clearly we're not talking about our finances. And the question is, is that healthy or unhealthy? I'm not sure because once you start talking about your finances and your wealth and your money, or we all do, relationships get wonky. They, they do. They find out, oh, you make this much money? Oh, this is what you're doing with the money? Like, I get it. I get why people don't share outside of their immediate family. So what we're going to do is we're just going to have a conversation. It's going to be more about God talking to us about this idea of money, finances, and wealth, and what he wants to do. So it's really him approaching all of us and saying, hey, look, I'm your father, and let's have a conversation. I want to start off with just, let's get the big one out there, right? The, the one that's just uh, the obvious thing. God's going to sit down with us, and he's going to say something like this. All the wealth, all the money you have, it's not yours. It's actually mine. Psalms 24, 1 says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world, the animals, 
everything. Psalm 24, 1. And, and he founded it, right? He founded the seas and he established it. Everything comes from God. Job talks about this. Psalm or Exodus talks about this. More Psalms talk about this. It's, it's throughout the Bible. This thing that everything is the Lord's. Everything is in it. Everything that is in the world is his. And what's more awkward than that is God says, not only is everything mine, but when we look at what we earn, what we inherit, on the natural plane, it may look like we earned it and we, we deserve it. But in the spiritual reality, which invades the natural realm, God says, no, everything you even got was from me. Everything you have, everything I have is from the Lord. So our wealth isn't ours, and whatever wealth we have, we didn't earn it or get it, he gave it. So the really awkward part of this whole thing is God cares about us, and he cares about his wealth and his money a lot. So as we sit here and process this, the question I have for you, the question God the Father would want to ask of all of us this morning is, who is in control of your wealth? Who's in control of our wealth and our money? Who's making the shots? Who's calling the, the plans out and saying, this is what we're going to do here and this is what we're going to do here? Who has control? And does God the Father have control of our wealth or does our wealth have control of us? Because when, when wealth, when we start to serve that and think that that's, we're in control of this, what starts to happen is it really it flips it on its head. We think we're in control, but wealth really becomes, wealth becomes a controlling factor in our life, right? So we start to get controlled by wanting more, greed. We start getting controlled by envying those who have it. We start getting controlled by fear because we're afraid to lose it or we're afraid we won't have enough. All of those things. There's a story uh, I came across years ago. I think he actually shared it here at Freshwater a number of years ago. But during the 12th century, the church was doing the Crusades, and to fill out their army, they would hire mercenaries. And because it was a holy war, they required the mercenaries to be baptized. And the mercenaries are like, fine, we'll go get baptized, whatever, just pay us for fighting. So they would go down to the water, be immersed, except for their hand and the sword that they fought with. So imagine these mercenaries going and being immersed and holding their arm up above the water with the sword in it. It, it was this amazing picture of defiance and control, meaning we'll fight for you, you have all of us, but do not think for a minute you will control what we do with our hand and the sword that is in it. And I wonder how many of us effectively were baptized following Christ, but perhaps have our money in our hand out of the water saying, this is ours, and don't think for a moment that anybody's going to tell us what to do with it. So here's why I come back to this question. Is it a loving thing and a kind thing for God to ask us, to give to him. Like it could be one of the most loving things he ever does. To call us to give a first portion of our wages to him. Not just for a moment, for, for our whole life. And there's a couple different moments in the life of Israel I want to look at. One is in Exodus. Israel had been in slavery for 400 years. 
uh, under oppression, you know, everything was stolen from him, right? There, I mean, that's what happens when you're a slave, right? You don't own anything. You don't earn anything. You don't get to keep anything. They take everything. For 400 years, God then sends Moses in to free Israel, and it takes 10 plagues before Pharaoh finally gives up. And right before the last plague, God says this to Moses. It's fascinating. He says, look, Exodus chapter 11, verse 1, he says this to Moses. One more plague's coming. And after that, he's going to let you go and he's going to drive you away completely. But I want you to speak. In verse 2, he says, now speak this in the hearing of the people, right, of Israel. Ask every man, tell them to ask every man of his neighbor, every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And it says, the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. So what happens is the 10th plague comes. All the firstborn of Egypt are killed. Israel is spared because of the Passover lamb and the blood on the doorway. And the next day, Pharaoh finally relents, right? He finally says, get out of here. And what ends up happening in the next chapter 12, verse 33, the Egyptians were like, you need to leave this land. And the people of Israel did what Moses had instructed them. So it says in verse 30 or verse 35 here, um, sorry, I need glasses. The people had done as Moses had told them, for they asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry, jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. And thus they plundered the Egyptians. They robbed them blind, took everything. And, and would you think about it, for 400 years, it's a paltry payment, repayment. And so they actually leave Egypt filthy rich, filled with gold. They got the gold, they got the silver, they got all the fine clothes. Fast forward then, months ahead, they're at, they're at this Mount Sinai, right? God's giving instructions. And one of the things that he says to them is, hey, look, I want you guys to build me a, a tabernacle, a tent. Uh, tent temple, right? So you can set up, tear down, and go wherever you want to go. And he says, but I need, I want you to call the people to bring a gift, a gift to me so that we can build the tabernacle. And so what happens in Exodus 35 is, um, just a second here, let me get over to it. Exodus 35, Moses comes to Israel and says, hey, take a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is generous of heart, let him bring to the Lord a contribution of gold, silver, of bronze, of all kinds of, uh, it was a, all kinds of yarns and fabrics and animal skins, and, and it just goes on and on and on. And what you find out in Exodus 35 is that they did just that. And it says the people's hearts were stirred, and everyone whose spirit was moved brought a contribution to the Lord. So much so, I mean, they were bringing everything, even those who had skills in, in craftsman, uh, craftsmanship, right? In either building or in making fabrics, everything. They were all coming saying, we want to help. We want to give. We want to be part of this. They gave so much. In chapter 36, it says this, the people brought so much more. You got to tell them to stop. So Moses said in verse 6 of chapter 36 in Exodus, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing any more material or valuables. Why did they have to tell them to stop? Why was their heart so inclined, so wanting to give? Because they had just experienced salvation months earlier. And they had not only experienced salvation, they experienced God bringing them wealth. 
And they, they had this moment here where they knew who God was and how he had saved them and how he'd rescued them and how he had brought them all this wealth. And they said, how can we keep any of this for ourselves? How, how, can, how do we just sit here and say, no, we can't afford to give? And they gave with this heart that said, we have to give back to the Lord. We must give back to him. Fast forward then, 40 years, they're about ready to go into the promised land. And God starts to give instructions. He says, look, you're going to get into this land and you're going you're gonna to live, right? And you're going to expand and, and this nation's going to become great and I'm going to bless you guys. But I want you to do this. When you guys get into this land as a pattern, as in a rhythm, I want you to give me the first fruits now, of the harvest, the first fruits of everything. It's an agrarian society, right? So it's, it's the grains and it's the fruit, it's the animals. And he says, I want you to do this and I want you to bring it to the house of worship for me. And it says this in Exodus 20, or Deuteronomy 26, it says, bring the first fruit of the ground, which the Lord has given us, right? Set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord has given to you and to your house and to the Levites, which, which were the priests, right? And the sojourner who was among you. And it became a pattern or rhythm or a pattern or a rhythm of life for Israel thereon. Of bringing the first fruit, that tithe, is the 10% is what it was, literally. 10% off the top. And God said, I want this to be what you do. And forever, it's a testimony to you and, and a reminder to you and an act of worship to you that everything is mine. I am the one who provides. I am the one who saves. And what you find as, as history has it and as plays out is Israel always, always stopped this and quit doing this. And it was one of the things God continually came back to and said, you guys, you guys won't bring the tithe. You won't bring your offerings anymore. And the question, some people, you know, how do you do, how do you look at this and then translate that into the New Testament with Jesus? And, and what the church has forever seen is that pattern of giving is still part of the life of someone who worships God. The motivation is now different because Christ becomes our Savior on the cross. His blood, He's the sacrifice, right? His blood is, is poured out so that we might be saved. And so the motivation becomes central to the cross. And why and how could we not give to Him and continually to say thank you to Him for salvation? But it's not only that. Jesus taught so clearly that all things come from the Father. And he's going to take care of us. And he reaffirms this idea that I don't want you serving money and being in bondage to money, the God of money. I want you free from that. And the church has historically seen this command continue on and has encouraged the practice of it. It's no longer the requirement of 10%. It's now the grace of 10% and if not more because of all that Christ has done for us. He wants to keep us from being enslaved to that God of money, because with it comes all the envy and all the fear and all the greed, and we start to control it, and we start to try to provide. 
and it creates no room for God. I was just talking to someone recently who's part of our church, and I've heard this story over and over again over the years. Um, things got tight. They had, they had a, a financial hit that really set them back, and so they stopped tithing to make ends meet. And that just started the pattern month after month after month after month and eight, nine months in to this. They're, they're realizing they're so stressed out. They're always worrying about where it's going to come from, the money to provide. And they, they all of a sudden were like, wait a minute. We, we weren't living like this. What's changed? And what changed was them stopping their tithe, their giving to the house of worship. And as I was talking to him, he just said, you know, we started to give again. We just said, no, this is an act of faith and obedience. We started to give again. And guess what happened? All the stress went down. All the fear went down. Their faith was transferred from money back to Christ. And God provided. They didn't win the lottery. They, did, they didn't all of a sudden, you know, strike it rich and have a gas well on their property or something like that, whatever it is. But what happened was, and this is why this is one of the most loving and kind things God could do. They turned to him and said, you are the one that provides. They turned to him and said, God, our reward is going to be with you in heaven. We want this life to count for you and we want to worship you. And we want to express this worship to you in, in multiple ways, but in this one for sure. We are going to pull the money down under the water and say, this is the Lord's and it's his to control. As we think about this, this idea of the wealth is from God, the provision and salvation is from God. We create room. This is why it's loving and this is why it's kind for God to require this of us because it creates room for Him to show up. And there's no better experience than being under the provision of God, saved by God on a constant basis. It's the best thing that can ever happen to us. And so when we give, it puts us in this posture of, oh Lord, we need you. And he's like, yes, you know it now. Let me provide. Watch how much I love you. And so my question to you right now is, uh, do you believe everything you own is his? Not head knowledge, but heart knowledge. Is your money above the water or is it under the water of baptism and, and, and that symbol of control and surrender? If you say that he is the one who saves and he is the one who provides, does your giving reflect this? And if you're sitting there going, Scott, that's impossible to give. Yes. Yeah, that's why it's called a sacrifice. And that's why Israel always stopped. And that's why God's people throughout history always stop because it's a sacrifice. That's the essence of a sacrifice. It's hard. It's a giving up. It's a letting go. And if you understand the sacrifice, you get it. 
It is. There's, there's just no two ways around it. I'm not going to soft pedal it and, and say that, oh, the, you know, that's the health and wealth guys over here would say, oh, no, you give, and he's just going to, he's going to give it all back to you. Like, it's all going to be money. Like, no, God will reward us. We can't ever script how he's going to reward us. So I can't stay here and say, sit or stand here and say that, yeah, God's going to give you back all this money and you're going to win the lottery. Or you're going to get this house or this car because that's not how God operates. But God does bless and God does provide. And his sacrifice to God, it, it pleases him, right? It's something that honors him. It's worship. Deuteronomy says we do this and we rejoice as we do this for the good that the Lord your God has given you. And what God sees when we give sacrificially, he says, that's my, that's my daughter. That's my son. I am going to protect him. I'm totally going to take care of him. I, I could take care of a sparrow. I could take care of, I could dress a flower. I'll take care of my kids. I love them. I would encourage you as you look forward to this year to bring the offering in as an act of worship. And if you're struggling with finances and you're in over your head and you really don't have a clear path going forward, we have Financial Peace University that's starting here at the end of February. It's going to be on Sunday afternoons. But it's, it's a way, it's a, a class that helps people begin the process of getting the finances under the control of Christ ultimately. And what we see time and time again is people begin to turn that tide and rather than always living in fear and living under the oppression of debt and the chaos that all that brings, they watch Christ come and bring order and blessing and direction and provision. So check out that. There'll be more information on that. And I want to just touch base on one thing. We, we've got, uh, I want to just say something that's going to set up Pastor Lynn here in a second. Um, I want to talk about where we are with the vision of Freshwater for 2021. As we look into this coming year, we have a 6% increase, and it's tied to vision. And the whole budget's obviously tied to vision. As we look at last year, we ended way stronger, way stronger than what we actually thought our giving was was way better. I mean, we, uh, we had actually um, kind of were predicting like we were going to be uh, – the giving is going to be lower. I'm, I'm repeating myself here. I'm trying to say it a different way. I'll just stick to my notes here. Um, our giving and our spending, we ended in the black. Um, and so we came into this year knowing, though, that we had an aggressive budget the last two years, and we needed to reduce it. So we reduced our budget almost by 3%. And, and we came into this year going, okay, we have a 6% increase. But the crazy thing is, for the last two years, we've been sensing that God is saying, you need to hire a second youth pastor, and we've passed on it two years in a row. And this, this year, especially as we started having conversations coming out of COVID back in May and June, the entire leadership team was united on the fact that we don't believe God has taken that call and that vision away from us. Like, even in the middle of this, we're like... How are we going to do this? And yet we're just all sensing, no, we have to go forward with this. So we could effectively come to you with a budget increase in 2021 that was flat or maybe 1%. If we took the youth pastor out and all the ancillary costs that come with that, it would hardly be an increase over the giving of this year. 
But we're coming to you saying as a leadership team, we believe that God is calling us to step forward into this vision and to pull the trigger on this higher. It's a step of faith. We don't have the giving to match the vision and the faith that God is calling us towards at this point. And I'm just bringing this up because as we move forward, if, if the body of Christ brought the offering to the house of worship, we do believe we could meet this. And I want to ask Pastor Lynn now to explain the vision of why we're moving towards the second youth pastor. It's crazy, but we're really excited about what God, what we believe God is going to do through this. So Pastor Lynn, you can take this away. God bless you guys. Hopefully I'm out of the barn sometime in the next month. <laughs>